0: Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it.
1: Well, I'm really excited because I get to talk to some of my favorite people here today. My other favorite people are in Mexico right now, but the rest of my favorite people are right here right now. So I think it's really cool. You know, I... Kind of grew up in church, kind of didn't. I kind of walked into church, literally. (laughs) When I was about five, you know, I just was doing my own thing. And I kept going to church functions. It'd be a Tuesday, a Thursday, Saturday. Churches were doing stuff, and I was there. And um, I really got connected that way. That's kind of how God hooked me. And um, I got really into Bible quizzing super into it, and (laughs) went to the competitions and stuff, and uh, you know, it was just my introduction, but what was interesting is that I was really good at remembering it, like I could tell you the answer, but I didn't know what it meant, and I think, you know, that's just a kind of a picture of the world of religion and the culture of religion is that they can tell you the right answer, but they don't actually know what it means, and so it doesn't carry any weight or power. And so I've had a different encounter since then. Um, It's crazy, you know, his word is the same, but different at the same time, like always changing. This was written like thousands of years ago, but it's new every day. And I love that about him, and so um, before we get started, I just wanna pray and release even just my own encounter over everybody today. And so Papa, I just thank you. I thank you that your word is living. And so whether we hear you audibly or we get an impression or we read from the manual, it's all the same. Your tone of voice is the same, you're consistent but you're always wanting to show us a new side of your face. And so I just release a newness today, a new love for the word, not that it would be a regiment, but that it would be an enticing. Papa, I just ask that you would interrupt people's, what they're doing that they think is fun with your word. That's what you did for me is, you interrupted my TV time and it was the best thing. And so I just release that over that people will get so stoked by the treasure hunt of your word and what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking about how to maintain an open heaven, and I feel like this is kind of an addendum to that as well. This is how we maintain an open heaven and how we do the impossible. And so, um, like I said, these stories in the Bible you've heard before, and the girls have actually even preached on them previously, but I think that he just gave me a new experience with them that I wanna bring. And so um, we're gonna start with um, the two foundations, which is in Matthew 7. I'm gonna read it first in the Amplified and then in the Passion. So Matthew 7, Matthew 7 24. So everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man, a far-sighted, practical, and sensible man. We want to be those things yeah. who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods and torrents came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish, in parentheses it says stupid, man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the flood floods and torrents came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great and complete was his fall, was its fall. In the Passion it says everyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life can be compared to a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation. When the rains fell and the flood came with fierce winds beating upon his house, it it stood firm because of its strong foundation. But everyone who hears my teaching and does not apply it to his life can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on sand. When it rained and rained and rained and the flood came with wind and waves beating upon his house, it collapsed and was swept away. And so I think, you know, in this, I think in this parable is the key to if you have a hard time holding on to truth, that this may be happening for you, that you've built your life on something else, wow. that your foundation is on something else. And um, this parable is in Luke 6 two, Luke 6 as well. And so I want to go. I want to read that one, <laughs> and it says, uh, "It's Luke 6:47." I'm going to read it again in the AMP and the Passion. Everyone who comes to me and listens to my words and obeys them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a far-sighted, practical, and sensible man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flirt- flood occurred and the torrent burst against that house, and yet could not shake it, because it had been securely built and founded on the rock. But the one who has merely heard and has not practiced what I say is like a foolish man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. And really quick in the passion. It says, let me describe... The one who truly follows me and does what I say, he is like a man who chooses the right place to build a house and then lays a deep and secure foundation. When the storms and floods rage against that house, it continues to stand strong and unshaken through the tempest. For he built it wisely on the right foundation. But the one who has heard my teaching and does not obey it is like a man who builds a house without laying any foundation at all. When the storms and floods rage against that house, it will immediately collapse and become a total loss. Which of these two builders will you be? And so I felt like what he was saying is it's stone versus sand. And in the second one, it actually says that there's no foundation if there's sand. Sand equals no foundation. And so, you know, we've heard a lot about building on the rock, building on the stone. I love the Adamant book. It's even uncovered, I feel like, a new layer of it is that we've always been in search of this impenetrable stone that we thought was a literal stone, but it's Jesus. And so I just want to read some scriptures about that option of building on the rock, of standing on the rock. That rock is Jesus. And uh, Psalm 18.2 says, Yahweh, you're the bedrock beneath my feet, my faith fortress, my wonderful deliverer my god my rock of rescue where none can reach me and isaiah 26 4 says yes trust in the lord yahweh forever and ever for yah the lord your god is your rock of ages and that yeah, yeah. yeah. that footnote says the concept of be, of god being our rock speaks of the enduring protection safety and security we have in him we plant our feet on the rock and find boldness and confidence throughout every age and season of our lives god remains a faithful rock of ages and so we i would say a lot of people have experience and know okay when he's talking about the rock that's what he's talking about well, what about the sand when have we heard reference of sand in scripture genesis 22 references abraham's descendants as sand as well as in isaiah and hebrews On the flip side of that, Revelation talks about how Lou, the enemy, deceives the nations. And in verse eight, it says, he will bring them together for battle and they will be as numerous as grains of sand. So Jesus is talking about the difference when we built, when we build on what he said versus when we build on our own selves or what other people say or what other people have done. So I looked up what sand actually was, and sand is formed when rocks break down from weathering from weathering and eroding of the constant action of waves and tides. Waves, when the floods come, when the waves come. <laughs> I got Calandra back there. But you know what's interesting is it takes a lot of time to break down rocks into sand. It's not just a one time thing where a rock crumbles to sand. It takes over and over and over for a rock to turn into something that it wasn't intended to. And so, you know, I, I just loved even what the worship team was singing about just calling us up higher is he's challenging us. I think from our foundation. Are we building um, the awareness to maintain an open in heaven from the foundation that we've built on? Because even if we try to attach these principles, these good things that we're learning about IFS, about how to access that third heaven on a foundation that isn't him or that's other people's voices or that's our own opinion of ourselves or what we're hearing, um, it's not going to be sustainable. So. Isn't that so cool? I just think wow, God is so amazing that he literally created the earth to support what his word. Whoa. Like he created the waves, he created the sand. He created the rocks so when he told these parables, I think I think he was like, "Don't you get it? Like look at what I made." He always used these scenarios that would fit with the time or would fit with what he made so that he it wasn't like this thing that we couldn't get he wanted us to get it he wanted us to fully comprehend and so i just love you know this two difference of what he's saying and what sand even is and so you know i think jesus is our ultimate model in in how to do life he actually solidified truth through every choice that he made so there wouldn't be a question for humanity. I think that that's part of the reason why he came as a human was because he he did show us that we could do it but he also showed us that regardless of our humanity there is this constant, there is this rock that we can bank on, that we can guarantee on, that we can build on. And so where is there an example When there are wind and waves with Jesus. One of them is calming the storm. Another one, though, is when he walks on water. There's three um, recollections of him walking on water. And so I'm going to do all three. The first one is in John 6. There's going to be a lot of scripture today because I talked about the word. He's wanting to show you the word in a totally new way. Verse 16, after waiting until evening for Jesus to return, Jesus had gone up and he said, I'll see you guys later. I'm going to go pray really quick. Go ahead and go where we're going. It said, after waiting until evening for Jesus to return, the disciples went down to the lake. But as darkness fell, he still hadn't returned. So the disciples got into a boat and headed across the lake to Capernaum. By now, a strong wind began to blow and was stirring up the waters, wind and waters. Here we are. The disciples had rowed about halfway across the lake when all of a sudden they caught sight of Jesus walking on top of the waves coming toward them. The disciples panicked. But Jesus called out to them, don't be afraid, you know who I am. And I love that Um, Papa was showing me yesterday in prayer that that was the precursor to today and i love that that this is where he says hey just don't just don't do it (laughs) you know and tisa's talked about it before there's not a 12-step program it's just don't but i think it's interesting that right after he says don't because you know who i am and that in that footnote in the i am is referencing all the way back to moses when god had that first encounter with man and he said hey I am and so I just think it's really cool because Jesus is saying hey not just for this moment but for always I am so you can just not you don't have to wrestle you can just not I knew that I would need these okay and so I love that What's interesting, too, is in that there's uh, it says they were headed to Capernaum and that was where they were supposed to be going. But um, the village that is in Capernaum, it actually means comfort. And so disciples didn't know what to do. And so they they head across to a place of comfort. (laughs) Oh, dang. When do we do that? when Jesus has told us something we get half we're waiting on him come on baby come on and we say hey eh, i'm going to do what's comfortable and then we get messed up when when stuff happens when life happens but it's like that's not what i said okay Next one is in Mark 6. After everyone had their meal, and mind you, this is right before, Jesus is crazy. This is right before one of the instances where he had just fed 5,000 or 4,000. And then he walks on water. And then he goes and heals somebody. After everyone had had their meal, he's talking about the 5,000. Jesus instructed his disciples to get back into the boat and go on ahead of him and sail to the other side of Bethsaida. So he dispersed the crowd, said goodbye to his disciples, then slipped away to pray on the mountain. As night fell, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. The wind was against the disciples, and he could see that they were straining at the oars, trying to make headway. It sounds like what Tessa and the team prayed about, about striving, striving to make it happen. That footnote says that seeing them from land in the dark was an obvious miracle, for evening had come and Jesus was a great distance from them while they were in the middle of the lake. Jesus sees and knows the struggles each of us go through. And so I think, you know, when he's not acting like... He can't see what we have going on. He's not he's not saying just get over it. But he is saying something and we're going to get to it. Um but I think it's important to for us to recognize and know that he sees it. He 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 knows the waters are troubled. He knows that the wind is blasting against us. He experienced it. He experienced it here. When he's walking on the water, it's not like the waves weren't blowing him around and the waves weren't going for him. It says, when it was almost morning, Jesus came to them, walking on the surface of the water, and he started to pass by them. When they all saw him walking on the waves, they thought he was a ghost and screamed out in terror. But he said to them at once, here we go, don't yield to fear. Have courage. It's really me, I am. And again, it's that reference again. And so, you know, I just had this really cool moment where I was like, you know, I think we're all always wondering how did he do it? I am, I'm like, how do you do that? And I think what he was showing me Connecting this with the parables is that in that moment, Jesus isn't walking on the reality of there's a storm. He's not walking on the reality that waves could knock him over or that the wind could knock him over. He's not even walking on the reality that um, water is liquid, and so it's not logically possible for him to stand on top of it and fall like it would be reasonable for him to fall through. But I think in that moment, he's standing. He's showing us what it means to stand on the rock. And so in that moment, Jesus is tapping into a reality to stand on the rock in an impossible situation. And so I think that he was saying, hey, (laughs) this is what it looks like. Hey, it doesn't even make sense right now. I shouldn't be able to do this. But he never, it says in the word, he only did what he saw the Father doing. That's what he was standing on. What God had said. What the Father's doing. And so in that moment, he's not standing on water. He's standing on rock. He's standing on rock, which is over the water. And so, you know, it says it in what we've read so far. Jesus not only withstands the wind and the waves, but he walks over them. That's what it looks like to overcome. And so, again, Jesus is our model. He's saying, hey, not only were you made, if you're built on me, if you're built on my Father, if you're built on what I say, not only were you made to withstand the waves, let me actually show you how to stand on top of them. Not only will they not affect you, let me show you how to overcome them. Let me show you how to dominate them. Let me show you how you can live life like they are the thing that doesn't make sense. (laughs) So if you're wondering how to walk on water, that's how you do it. We can do that, right? Man, doesn't that make sense? So think about places where we can tap into that Places that seem impossible, that is a heavenly place, an impossible place. It's not impossible there. It's only impossible here. And so Jesus is showing us, hey, it looks like I'm walking on water. And to everyone else, that—that that is what they see. They see that I'm doing this thing that doesn't seem possible. But I already know what my dad said. That's what I'm standing on. Matthew is the last um, recollection of it. And this is interesting because this is the only one that talks about Peter. Um, That he gets to get on the water too and walk on it too. So it's Matthew 14, 22. It says, As soon as the people were fed, Jesus told his disciples to get into their boat and go to the other side of the lake while he just stayed behind to dismiss the people. After the crowds dispersed, Jesus went up into the hills to pray. And as night fell, he he was there praying alone. But the disciples who were now in the middle of the lake ran into trouble for their boat was tossed about by the high winds and the heavy seas. At about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the waves. When the disciples saw him walking on top of the water, they were terrified and screamed, a ghost. Here we are again, Jesus said, be brave and don't be afraid. So I think that's cool. He gives the antidote into what to replace fear with. Be brave. Be brave, not just not being afraid. It's not enough to just not be afraid because when we're working with not being afraid, we're still doing a process with fear. So I love in this one, he actually says to be brave first. Be brave and don't be afraid. I'm here. There he is again. I am. I'm here. Oh, this is a good part. So Peter shouts out, Lord, if it's really you, then have me join you on the water. And in worship, he was showing me that, you know, we have interpreted that as doubt, but it's not. I think that it was a cry. A belief, a cry for the more. Yeah. I remember when I said, "If it's really you, I need you to come in. I need you to show up. Yeah. If you're really real, you need to make this happen. You need to. Sh- you need to show me. I want to believe." I think that's what Peter is saying. I want to believe. And so I think that, I think this little insight that he was showing me is really coming after condemnation that we felt for the questions that we've had about him, that the seed of it was a desire for belief, was a desire, was a seed of faith, was a seed of hope that he planted in us, that he... That he wanted us to say, hey, is this something that you're doing? Because if it is, I want to be a part of it. And that's how he draws us in. And so I just, I love that he just really spent it on me today that he wasn't saying, oh, I don't know. He was saying, "I want, I want that to be true about you. I want it to be true that you're a healer. I want to experience you that way. Can I can I come to where you are and see what you're talking about? I knew I was going to cry, but come on so here's Jesus' reply. Come and join me he says. Go for it. The footnote. The footnote says, "Go for it." <laughs> and then we know the rest of the story. You know, he steps out, um, but he starts to look at the waves, and he gets afraid again. And so, and that's what causes him to sink. You know, and I think in that moment, but he says, "Yeah, come on up here." I think again, we've interpreted, I think through our own past selves that. Um, Jesus was inciting and challenging his fear, but I don't think that's possible because Jesus doesn't work with fear. Come on. And so I think he, when he said, hey, come and join me, he was calling to something else inside Peter. Wow. What was he calling into him? I think a lot of things. I think he was speaking to what he could see Peter was going to be who Peter actually was and it's an answer to his question because he says if it's really you can I come where you are and so I think you know our identity is tied into who he is and so Jesus is like yeah he's like come and experience me and you'll know who you are come come up higher <laughs> above the waves Come up to a place that you didn't know that you could be, that I put in you because of who I am. It's not to incite fear when he says, hey, come walk on water. Because he already said, just don't. And so I think, you know, again, tying back to the parable of the sand and the stone, I was even thinking, you know, practically, the disciples had to leave a shore of sand and purposely choose to get in water to then experience Jesus walking on top of it, to experience Jesus on the rock. And so we'll all get to have those opportunities where he says, hey, actually step away, walk away, leave what you thought was comfortable, leave what other people said, leave what you built on your own, and purposely put yourself in a place that to your mind doesn't make sense, That that you could very well die and drown, and there you'll find me. In the middle of the wind and the waves there you'll find me. And so I think even the way that we view trouble, the way that we view wind and waves, he doesn't see it that way. Because he said you will experience this. Both houses, both houses experience it. It's not a question of if. It's when. It's when and so we want to learn to stay solid we want to learn to come up higher above it this is a isaiah 28 we're going back to some more stuff about the stone Here's what the Lord God says Behold, I set in place in Zion a foundation stone. Um, in that footnote, we've read this before, but I just love it. It says, The foundation stone is Christ set in place in the councils of eternity. The Hebrew word for stone is taken from the root word, son. God's foundation stone is this son, Jesus Christ. Now, the son slash stone has become many from these stones slash sons, the Father is building us into his holy temple. That's that foundation stone. Fully tested and proven to be faithful and secure. Where have we heard that before? The white horse, faithful and true, faithful and true. The promised one, Jesus Christ, is the chief cornerstone on which we rest our faith because we are those who dwell in Zion's realm. Believers throughout all time have proven that he is faithful. Not only has he proven himself, but all the believers through all time prove his faithfulness. We get to do that. And written upon this precious cornerstone is this, those who trust in him, those who are built on him, the rock, will not act in haste. And the footnote says, or will never run away in fear. Faith firmly set upon Christ is patient and never rushes, for faith leaves the timing of all things in God's hands. Peter quotes this verse saying, Whoever believes in him will certainly not be disappointed. And so, again, back to the story, you know, I think that that was what he was teaching them is, hey, I'm going to come at the right moment. You're half you're halfway there. There is still some more to go. But I know where you are and I see you. And I've got the timing. I've got the timing. And so he's wanting to to access faith in those moments where we think we should be there but he says, "Oh, you're just halfway there. But keep going." Um, there is a place in Romans where it talks about the Aramaic word for rock is also the word for teaching or faith. Aramaic speakers today still say that to stand in faith means to stand on a rock. To speak of the message of faith. Of, hello? To speak of the message of faith. Or salvation versus works is hidden in the word rock. And so, you know, going back to the parable, I think um, again, how sand was made, it was a rock. It was a rock first. And so I feel like he is in this process of returning us back to stones. Where built on him, we, be, we become stones just like him. You know, and I think when we've built our life on the sand, whether it's what other people said um, or what other people did or things um, that people said would be successful, uh, it's just sand. It's just little rocks, little Gs compared to the big G. And so, of course, that's going to come down because it cannot compare. I mean, think about literally building a house on a giant rock versus some little rocks. That just doesn't make sense. That's not going to be secure for us. This is uh, Matthew 16. It's uh, when he calls Peter a rock. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? He asked him that question first. Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are favored and privileged, Simon, son of Jonah. For you didn't discover this on your own. You didn't discover this on your own. You know, one of the things that I think can happen when, and one of the indicators that we've built our life on sand, um, one easy way to see it is obviously when we believe a lie or we believe something other than what he said about us. But I think a way that I'm noticing that's happening currently that he wants us to come up higher in is when we will um, search out additional things that aren't what he said when we try to take the role of the Holy Spirit and his role is to highlight what he's doing and where we are. We try to better ourselves by being introspective, by taking control of that process. We actually start to make up things that he's not breathing on. And then we wonder why that feels so unsteady, why it causes so much chaos, because here comes the wave again. It's not a question of if it's when when life happens that gets challenged and that is a good dad that is a good dad that says i never intended you to build your life on something so unsteady i wanted it to be built on me because i know what i can be for you i know what i want to be for you what i desire to be for you and so it's not gonna work i'm sorry but it's not gonna work and it's a man i just think that Again, like I think that I always viewed that as really scary when the waves would come and destroy the whole thing. But it's like, we don't want that. We don't want whatever's been built on top of Okay, back to what I was reading. You didn't discover this on your own but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. And I loved this footnote. The Greek text does state that Peter is the rock on which the church is built. However the implication is that it is Peter's revelation from the father and his confession of Jesus as the son of God that becomes the bedrock foundation for the church the earliest writings of the church fathers all of the church fathers all acknowledge that the rock is Jesus not Peter and so even when he's saying Peter He's saying it's because you've had this experience, this revelation of my son, this revelation of me as a father, that you become a solid, that you become unchanging. I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but back to on the water. You know, when Jesus is saying, hey, come up, come up here. I think that's what he's doing right now with us in the IFS. He's saying, hey, every part of you, every part of you, like, that's what he's calling, like I was saying. He's not inciting fear. He's calling to the pla- all the places that he put in us to come up to where he is, above the trouble. The trouble comes, and we get to experience it, and it gets to be an indicator of where we are. But then he says we can actually come up above it, and so I think I can just see even in this process, like I said, we're we're seeing all of our parts and our exiles, that he's saying, hey, I actually want that part of you, all of you to come up and experience what it's like up here. And so I love that, you know, again, even how we become stones, we can't become stones on our own. On our own, we are just sand. It's just what it is. You know, and it's like those t- those two verses that I found, I was like, "Man, that's so interesting." Like there was sand in a good context when God was like, "I'm going to make your descendants as many as a grain of sand." But then the enemy could take nations and make his armies as numerous as grains of sand. And so, it's not about feeling bad that sand, he made us sand. But I think when we get on a rock and we unify with him, we start to have those similar rock-like qualities. Water. And so then we go to um, we've talked about this before, but this is First Peter 2, when it says, "Keep coming." He said, come on, keep coming. Keep coming to him who is the living stone. Though he was rejected and discarded by men, but chosen by God and is priceless in God's sight, come and be his living stones who are continually being assembled into a sanctuary for God. It says, to be identified as Christ's living stones, means that we are in union with him and share his nature, for he is the living stone. And so as I wrap up today, um, I just want to tie back in that this is how we maintain an open heaven. We lay a foundation made of Jesus. Heaven itself. We start with heaven. We start with the person of heaven. And we build on that and that alone. Then, no matter where we walk, we're able to do the impossible. We're able to walk on water. So, So, Daddy, I just thank you. I thank you for your words. I thank you that your word comes alive. And so I just thank you for illuminating to me and hopefully to everyone else what you meant when you said, I just asked for a personal encounter today with these stories. They're not just stories to you. They're invitations to keep coming. Come up here and keep coming. Keep, keep coming to where I am and experiencing where I am so that you can do the impossible build on the foundation of truth the foundation of heaven so that you can continue to access heaven because you know what it looks like because you've built you've already experienced it you're building on it and so when you need to access more heaven you'll know what it looks like so I just seal this word over us in Jesus name amen Amen. let's welcome Tessa to close us out
0: Dang. Yeah. Dang, she's laying it down. <laughs> she's Thor. She, she Thor. Man, that was so good. Um, I have so many thoughts right now. It's just, she's blowing my mind. Um, I was actually reading um, another story this morning that went right along with what she was saying. Um, It was about whenever Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, it says that after Jesus finished his prayer, he left with his disciples and went across to Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden. Judas, the traitor, knew where this place was for Jesus had gone there often with his disciples. The Pharisees and the leading priests, had given Judas a large detachment of Roman soldiers and temple police to seize Jesus. Judas guided them to the garden, all of them carrying torches and lanterns and armed with swords and spears. Jesus, knowing full well what was about to happen, went out to the garden entrance to meet them. (laughs) He went out there. He was like, I'm going to walk on these waves and and I'm going to just go out to meet them. And so that's wow. him just going out. He's like, okay, this is what I got to do. It's it's so good. Uh, but he's displaying what it is to be a son. Yeah. Um, it says that uh, he's stepping forward. He said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Now Judas was among them. He replied, Jesus replied, I am he. And the moment Jesus spoke the words I am he. The mob fell backward to the ground. I don't think I ever knew that. I'm just saying, the word is amazing. I don't think I ever knew that they fell back. The mob fell backward to the ground. So once more, Jesus asked them, Who are you looking for? As they stood up, they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I told you that I am the one you're looking for so if you want me let these men go home he said this to fulfill the prophecy he had spoken um, father not one of those you have given me will be lost wow Um, sorry one second I lost my place so I think we kind of know what happens next suddenly suddenly Peter took out his sword and struck the high priest's servant's ear, slashing it off. And uh, and Jesus ordered Peter, put your sword away. Do you really think I will avoid the suffering which my father has assigned to me? So I was just thinking how cool it is that both of these stories that Cheryl mentioned have Peter in them. And they're both, if Peter is the rock, and the rock means son, then this is Jesus displaying sonship on both yeah. stories yeah. to Peter. Yeah. So Peter yes. is, the, the, is the son. He's, it's tra- it's a, a parallel picture of, that he's trying to show us of what it's like to be a son. It doesn't mean that we take out our sword and fight our own battle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We don't take out our sword and try to get away from the storm. The storm is happening. It's going to happen no matter what. And so it's, do we live in the reality of the I am? Do we live in the reality of the I am? Because he's saying it. He's saying I am. And so I think what Cheryl's saying is so powerful because we get to choose which reality that we live in. If we live in the reality of the I am, of him as a rock, which means that we are being actively turned into sons and daughters, that we're actively being son, son, in our sonship, then then we actually, I love what she said, that we prove his faithfulness. If we decide not to live to one day in the reality of him as the rock, then we are proving something else. So if we live in, choose to live in the reality of him as the rock and we are the sons and daughters, then we are proving his faithfulness. And that's that light that Aaron was saying that we get to shine on him. that he is the, the warrior. He's the one he's the one that said I am and he went to the cross and he said, stepped out toward the storm and he walked over the storm. But we are more than conquerors. We're overcomers. I wanted to read one more thing. Um, Galatians 4 says, So that we would know that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, My Father, my true Father. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters and because we're his we can access everything our father has for we are heirs because of what god has done before we knew god as our father we were unwitting servants to the powers that be which are nothing compared to god but now that we truly know him and are intimately known by him why would we for a moment consider turning back to those weak and feeble principles of religion as though we were still subject to them oh it's so good so i love that that we when we don't know him as our father when we don't do this process of sonship that cheryl's describing to us then we do unwittingly serve the powers that be but when we know him when we truly know him and are intimately known by him, then we're free from all of that. We walk in freedom, we walk over the waves, like Cheryl's saying. And so, I just want to bless us and uh, draw just keep asking him to keep pulling our hearts into the sonship process that he wants for us, Jesus. We just view you today as our rock as our complete stability, we live in the reality of the I am. We live in the reality of the I am. And so we walk in true uh, understanding and wisdom because we understand who you are. We walk in the impossible because we understand who you are. So we invite you Holy Spirit to keep pulling on our hearts, make us stones again right now i just take authority over the orphan spirit and all of its thoughts and mindsets and i pull it down (laughs) and i speak a new anointing would come over us to be sons and daughters i just ask holy spirit for your fresh anointing as sons and daughters to walk above the waves in the reality of your kingdom where everything seems impossible but it's not the i am says i'm possible <laughs> and the impossible he says i'm possible in his I, and so i just bless our hearts and our minds today i ask that you would unfold this treasure and this gift of the message that she it's such a gift. We just honor her right now. We honor her. We honor her. And so I say, the seed will not return void. The seed will will gl- grow and it'll blossom and it'll sprout into a fully mature um, revelation.